0: Love, Hope, Radio.
1: This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And
0: I'm Mary Alice Long.
1: Our guest today on Creativity and Play is David Pogue, personal technology columnist for the New York Times and an Emmy Award-winning tech correspondent for CBS News. He is also a best-selling how-to author with books in the Four Dummies series as well as his own Missing Manual series. David has a degree in music from Yale and spent ten years conducting and arranging Broadway musicals in New York. He will be part of the opening session with Sir Ken Robinson and Dan Pink at the Creativity World Forum in Oklahoma City on November 16th. David Polk, it's great to have you with us. Thanks so much. Well, as we mentioned at, at the beginning, you'll be joining Ken Robinson and Dan Pink um, at the Creativity World Forum in a few weeks, and. They're both great advocates for the general value and application of creativity in education and workplaces and society, and your work at the New York Times focuses on trends in consumer technology in the online world and I'm wondering where where do you see creativity in those areas and what does it look like in personal technology today
2: well that's a great question um to me the the joy of this job reviewing technology week after week is about the ideas it's about the creativity ultimately and i don't know why they chose me to host this panel but but maybe they perceive that they they perceive that for me the joy is, is breakthroughs it's new ideas it's incredible that people are still coming up with them in fact at the end of every year i write my favorite column of the year which is called the 10 best ideas in technology from the year and these aren't the best products in fact Sometimes they're ideas in terrible products, but they're great little flashes of brilliance that somehow made it out of committee and past the lawyers and into the end product. I I was just looking at a a camera. Not a great camera, but it has a USB jack that flips out of the side of the camera so you can plug it directly in your computer. You don't need to hunt for the cable that comes with it. The, The jack is built right into the camera. Nobody's thought of that before. You know, it's just little touches like that 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 really get me going. So for me um seeing the new ideas, the innovation is, is the greatest part of the job when when that light goes on in my brain like, "Oh, that's such a good idea." That's that's really the joy of it. And and by the way, part two of that is the chance I have to raise these sometimes little companies up into the spotlight and show the world what they've been doing and there's just nothing like some little startup struggling with a brilliant idea, but but nobody knows about it, and helping to put them on the map.
1: And do you see some of those? You mentioned the camera. Do you see others at the moment that you're paying attention to in, in that vein?
2: Oh, all the time, all the time. Um, I just uh, had a look at a uh, – this morning, actually, at a new little tiny, tiny box that connects to your TV. And what it does is it – knows about every single source of TV shows on the web. It knows about Hulu.com. It knows about ABC, CBS, NBC, all the sites, YouTube, every place that there is video and television shows. And they they claim that 90% of all television shows are available to watch on the web. But who wants to watch TV sitting like a nerd at their desk on the computer? People want to watch TV on the TV, right? So, I mean... Obviously, those under 25 are perfectly comfortable watching TV on their laptops, and many do. But there's a certain point where you want to watch TV on your TV. So what this box does is it knows the source of every single one of those 90% of the TV shows, and it transfers them. It it sucks them through your computer and onto your TV screen. So as long as your computer's on somewhere in the house, um, you actually use a little... Uh, Your phone is the remote control. Another good idea, your iPod, iPad, iPhone, Android phone, that is the remote control. And you say what show you want to watch. Then it says season one, season two, season three. Tap the season, tap the episode, and it starts playing on your TV. It's like they've just turned the Internet into the world's biggest TiVo with everything on it. So what an idea. What an idea to give you instant access to every television show that's ever been on. I mean, it's just for free. I mean, that's a really powerful idea.
0: I like that idea of it being sucked into the TV. (laughs) That's really great. I wonder, because I joyfully have watched a number of your videos, David, and (laughs) and, uh, read your bio and um, really got a sense of your humor and play and wonder, um, you know, how you see playfulness and Magic and spinning multiple plates in the air um, in terms of you know you're getting the message out about technology and um, various innovations and how you can play with those um, in general terms for everybody out there
2: well I mean play is is it has a couple of meanings right so there's there's the playfulness that leads to these products that I review the the uh, experimentation one of my favorite product ever was this $1,500 robot dog from Sony called the Ibo, and it, it developed this huge cult following. It was a little tiny dog like the size of a miniature schnauzer, and it was a robot, but it had sensors all over it, so you could pet it, and it would respond. It would wag and light up and bark, and then it had a ball you could roll, and its little camera eyes would follow the ball and nuzzle it with its nose, and you could program it to do stuff. And I mean, nobody needs a $1,500 dog. I mean, people would, people would definitely shot this down in committee at any other company. But there's something playful within Sony. There's some corporate culture that said, "Run with it. Try it. Let's see." Um, they, but Sony is such a huge company that that they, you know, there's all the mainstream stuff, the cameras and the Blu-ray players. But but every now and then they come up with these weird little oddballs project that that somebody green lighted and I, it's just a joy to see that so there's the play in within the company and then there's also the playfulness in the design which i dearly love i mean apple has has had a long tradition of of playfulness you know when you when you when you throw something away it um oh, hold on i think that's my phone giving me feedback there. um when you throw something into the trash, you get a little puff of smoke, for example. I mean, that's just that's just funny. Um, but all the way through their software, they have these little witty animations and, and funny things. That For example, the new version of iMovie, this Apple editing program, comes with 15 templates for movie trailers that they make out of your own footage. And they come with uh, a symphonic orchestra playing the music and... Titles and, but but then it's using your own videos in play. So for example, there's an action one, there's a spy one, there's a travel one, and you know, bum 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 in a world, bum, bum 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 when one family bum 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 set out for an adventure. You know, that's your vacation video. You know, I mean that is hilarious and it's play. It's it's a joke. It's great, and I love that there are still corporate cultures where people allow play to sneak into the products.
1: I think yes. that's such a, okay. a, a a good example of of how technology can support creativity. Um, I assume in the template, some of this, some of the technology side of this is embedded. You don't have to be an expert in movie making or tech in um, software to make use of it. Um, I'm wondering if you have other examples like that of, of technology helping creativity, or conversely, you know, how can how can outside creativity, imagination, playing with the ideas that you've been talking about help uh, change technology. So, in either direction, technology helping creativity or creativity helping technology.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I think technology helping creativity is the story of the last ten years. I mean, the um, you know the Blair Witch Project, huge, big, popular movie made on a camcorder, um, and in in the creative fields, especially in music. I mean, think about music. Now, the the record companies are no longer the gatekeepers. You can become a huge, successful band just by being good. It has nothing to do with who you know or what strings you pull. You put up a page on MySpace or you build your website or Facebook, and all of a sudden, if you're any good, your following will come. Um, Same thing with movies. You can now make your own movies. I don't know if you heard of the – you hear about the movie Paranormal Activity. Um, It was a big, popular horror movie from last season and now – Paranormal Activity Two is just about to come out. But the way it worked was a movie company said, make us a trailer of the movie you would like to make. And then we'll have the internet population vote on it. And the one that gets the most votes will give you a million bucks to make your movie. And this is what happened. And people were were doing this, you know, with their amateur technology equipment with camcorders or even digital cameras and just cleverness of the idea, so, so it was nothing but the ideas and the cleverness of the editing that won the prize, and the winner, the one that got the most votes, was this movie Paranormal Activity, and so Paramount gave them a million dollars to to make the movie, and it was a huge sensation last, last season, it was a big hit, and again, just shot on consumer camcorders, um, very inexpensively, two characters, all through the strength of the ideas, so The Internet has always been said that it would democratize the world. Like anyone can have a presence. Anyone can make a web page, right? But what it's really done lately is democratize mass media and creativity. So movies, music, books. Amazon just launched a thing called Kindle Singles. These are e-books that you can download to your Kindle that are not full-length books. Why should a book have to be full-length? Why shouldn't there be 40-page books? Why shouldn't there be 20-page or 90-page books? And anybody can publish one. So once again, we're taking the gatekeeping institutions out of being the middleman between the creative force and the creative force's audience. And the Internet makes that possible, and the technology tools make it possible. It's very exciting.
0: Well... I think it's exciting, and there's so many uh, new innovations out there. I'm poking around in different ones myself. (laughs) Being a little novice, I am at all these things, internet and online. But I wonder um, because there's so much of our society is so much do 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 and achievement oriented, and we're always so busy. Whether uh, or what you have to say about technology as uh, hindrance to creativity, or a better question probably is, how can you make it, um, keep it creative, and not have it as a hindrance to your everyday life, so that it can create some kind of balance? Maybe so you're the saying, humor that you, you have. <laughs> so
2: mm-hmm. how do we how do we prevent technology from from being a hindrance to your creativity?
0: Yeah, because if we're if somebody's sitting at the computer all day and messing around the computer but doesn't have any people contact, which many people are, that's a hindrance to creativity in my mind. And then there's other variations of that. So how do you keep all your juggle, all your plates in the air in your life and also be able to take advantage of what's out there and have hmm. fun with it and keep the humor in it?
2: Well, I'm I'm not sure I would agree with the premise that social contact is required for creativity. I mean collaboration is a great creativity tool, but much collaboration now takes place online and, and over the computer. Um if if the question really is how do we present how do we prevent uh society wide loss of face to face contact, that's a serious question and, and one that I worry about a lot with my with my three children as they, you know, do their do their communication with their friends electronically and not hanging out at the pizza place or whatever. Um yeah, that question has yet to be answered. I'm I'm sure I'm not the one who can answer it. We basically say no computers other than homework during the school week. So that's that's our rule and um it's not always successful and um I'm not sure it's the the cleverest approach to just say you, know, you can't. Um so, yeah, that's, it's a serious question, and I don't I don't know what the answer is. We're definitely I, – I think the answer probably is you can't stop that force that human communication is becoming more electronic. There is less face-to-face communication. Um, at the same time, that's a curse but also a blessing. Something is lost, but something is also gained. And what's gained is, of course, the ability to collaborate and develop relationships with people who are not local to you um all these uh websites there's a whole class of website called web 2.0 where the the whole point of them is to connect people with similar interests who would never even know of each other's existence otherwise if you think about craigslist this website that puts buyers and sellers together um for for any kind of ad help wanted for sale um, personal ads whatever um and facebook and flickr And eBay, all of these connect people um, electronically, and they are connections that would not have existed otherwise. So it's a double-edged sword.
1: You were talking about your kids a moment ago. Can you talk about how you think about the role of creativity in their lives beyond the technology aspect, just in terms of your own personal creativity and being a parent of, of three children?
2: sure um i'm I'm fortunate that my my three kids are wildly creative um all of them My son is um thirteen he's the he's playing the the modern major general in his middle school's production of the Pirates of Penzance and it's his his first role and he's just comes home every day high as a kite to be uh to be in this show um He's also the piano player for the middle school jazz band uh, My daughter is at a dance and music studio four days a week. She takes um, singing lessons in jazz, tap, ballet, um, hardcore. She's 11, and then I have a 6-year-old a who's also, just just last night he was he was doing something that is a long, pogue tradition, uh, which is to make up new parody words to existing melodies. <laughs> he, he was sitting in the back seat doing, you know, singing to the tune of jingle bells but about dinosaur battles. You know <laughs> Dinosaurs, dinosaurs fighting all the time. You know It's just, it's, it's a bug and he's got it. <laughs> but but um but to see but this this here again, um technology plays plays a big role in this. Um I I came home when my son thirteen year old son was nine, I came home and and asked where he was he turns out he was in my attic office on the computer and I said uh oh he's not supposed to be on the computer during school days but what he was doing was he had stumbled onto Finale which is a professional sheet music program um, for doing you know musical scores and he had taken his piano lesson piece for that week and just on his own decided to do a string quartet arrangement of it now, okay. I'd never taught him finale. I'd never taught him arranging. He didn't know anything about the ranges of these instruments in a string quartet. He opened Wikipedia and looked up viola, you know, and found out what the range of that instrument. I was just, I could have fallen over dead. I couldn't believe it. And so the, the technology oh. made possible this wild creative streak I didn't know the kid had. And and like yesterday, one of my kids was, was playing a... Um, playing a game on the iPad, um, which is normally something I would disapprove of because it was a school day, but do you know what it was? It was, a, it was an interactive Pictionary where the game displays a word like tea kettle, and you use your finger to draw a tea kettle, and eight other people randomly connected to you around the internet have to guess what you're drawing, and the first person to guess wins the point. I mean, what a wildly creative idea! What a giddy, crazy social connection with people around the world watching you draw. I mean, it was just—it was mind blowing—and that is creativity and technology in action.
1: And I think those are such good examples of, of you know, how natural it is for, particularly young people, to adapt and use technology, whether they've been taught, so to speak, or not. And it, you know, it reminds me of just conversations in the last couple of days of teachers talking about what they cannot still access in a classroom of basic everyday things, whether it's YouTube videos to show to their students or um, assessment things that are on websites that you know they would log into and create an account and take an assessment, or um, a curriculum from you know major museums like the Guggenheim that says you know here's a bunch of curriculum you can use with our art pieces, and yet the the blocking of access to such things in education, while simultaneously examples like your own children um, using technology to learn things and create things, uh, you know, it just is a constant reminder it seems of of this disconnect between still this great lack of access oftentimes in many schools in education and what kids do everywhere else except in school and what that's going to mean potentially as we go forward. And, and when and how that might change? Any thoughts on how that might happen?
2: No, I, I could not agree more. I, I just I think it's ridiculous. Our here in Westport, Connecticut, where I live, the elementary schools block YouTube, but the middle schools permit it. And um, last week, my 13-year-old came home and said that his English teacher was trying to teach them about irony. So there's an Alanis Morissette song called the Irony Song. And the whole song is little stories like, I don't remember the melody, but it was like, a 98-year-old man won the lottery, and he died the next morning. Um, A guy was afraid (laughs) to fly. He went on his first flight to see his son graduate, and the plane crashed. You know, and the English teacher, and therefore my son, pointed out that none of the examples in these lyrics are actually irony. They're all just bad luck. (laughs) they're not ironic in the definition of the sense so so then uh, collegehumor.com a website that would have been blocked by policy did a parody of the irony song called the actual irony song where they where they took the same Alanis Morissette lyrics but crammed in an additional phrase that made it true irony so it was like 90 98 year old man won the lottery. He died the next morning by inhaling the adhesive on the back of the lottery ticket. Um, okay. You know, a guy was afraid to fly, but he crashed the next day because he was on the way to the learn to be comfortable flying seminar. You know? <laughs> so funny, and he will. I mean, what a phenomenal learning tool that would have been blocked. You know, it was just a brilliant, brilliant teaching tool, and and none of those kids will forget it. And now everybody knows what irony is. So. Um, I don't know. I guess how are we going to get there? I guess we're going to do radio shows like this one, and <laughs> we're going to go to the Oklahoma Creativity Forum and, and get on our soapboxes and, and point out the advantages. But I don't know. It's it's a generational thing, I'm sure. So as young people become the majority and people realize that the Internet is not to be feared, maybe they will become the Board of Education members who relax the policies. Um I mean, obviously, we know why they block them, right? We don't want kids to sit there in class in the computer lab looking up pornography and stuff like that. But surely there are better solutions.
1: And, and meanwhile, they have the internet in their pocket anyway, so it yeah. <laughs> they're really blocking yeah. anything. That's right.
0: Well, David, I you know, with your background of, um, I noticed you at one point in your life you were in the magic and then you of course got into uh, music and Broadway, Broadway and you wanted to go a certain way, but then you hedged your bets and you got into writing about computer and online stuff and wrote Mac for dummies and that became a bestseller. And I just wonder, um, with the multiplicity of your background, what you'd have to say to young people and adults about, um, Spinning those multiple plates in the air and cha- making those kind of changes and taking risks that lead to greater creativity, whether you're a child or an adult or an elder for that matter.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, my whole career has unfolded in a very strange way, which is that the phone would ring and somebody would ask me if I wanted to do something and I would just say yes. <laughs> I just, um, you know, I guess it's that old rule, you know, say yes and then learn how to do it later. Um so people people say, "Oh, you're a brand. Look at this empire you've built." And I, I totally reject that. I, I just I never set out to do that. It was just never the goal. That's never been the driving force. I just people would call up and say, "Hey, do you want to do a TV thing?" And I'd be, "Sure." Hey, do you want to write a book? Yeah. Hey, do you want to give a talk? Sure. So it just kind of it just kind of unfolded that way. Um, so you know, is it worth taking risks in life? Yes, of course. Um yesterday in in uh, California I spoke at a conference called FailCon, which is dedicated to failure. And and it's all based on the premise that you learn more from a failure than from a success. And it was filled with, you know, 500 attendees that were all mostly startup companies, but all young, hungry, idea-driven people. Um but I loved it. I love the concept that you learn more from failure than than from success. so um I've been really lucky that i've never I've never needed a, never had a nine to five job um that uh, that creative pursuits have have kept me afloat so far. but in terms of regular life, you know the, i I'd say absolutely the golden rule is say yes to everything. the rest will follow.
0: Yeah, and I'd also say, um, from what I've seen from your uh, videos and your books, is that humor um, a he- Humor goes a long way when you're taking risks. Really being able to see yourself upside down and falling and getting back up in different ways is really <laughs> cool. So I appreciate that about your, what you put out there, David.
2: Yeah, my, my grandfather, uh, he died just short of his 107th birthday about 10 years ago. And uh, he was a really great guy, great, funny writer. And and he, everything he did was done entertainingly. Every letter, every letter to the editor, um, every newsletter column and, and so on. And, um, you know, I once asked him about that. And he he said, I think that anything worth doing, anything worth writing, is worth writing entertainingly. I and mean, there's, there's hardly any form of writing that doesn't benefit from a little playfulness and a little humor. So that's that's always been my guideline in books and talks and articles and so on.
1: Thank you. You're going to talk, I think, a little bit at the uh, forum in November about the role of design and innovation in the, in the last uh, minute or so. I'm just wondering if you'd sort of pick up on, on that topic that, that you'll come back to, and I assume with Ken Robinson and Dan Pink's uh, input from different perspectives and the role of education and, and creativity in society and stuff, how that plays in, but you, you know, you're know, you bringing a particular piece around the innovation technology and, and the role of creativity and design, and just wondering, again, sort of where we started the conversation to come back to that at the end here.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I said at the beginning the joy of this job is, is observing the innovation and the, the playfulness that companies come up with, but The truth is, and I'm sure these companies realize it, is that innovation is also a very hardcore, bottom-line, spreadsheet-driven money issue. In other words, innovation is what's going to make you stand out, and that's going to be what makes you sell more product. (laughs) So, I mean, I I don't want people to think, yeah, Poe, you can get away with a creative career because, you know, you're lucky. You know how to write, and you're funny. You don't but the rest of us need real jobs, you know. And and I would say mm, I don't know. I think this is apl- applicable to to any job. I mean, mm-hmm. I look at the digital camera industry, for example. There's a certain point where every camera was the same. The megapixel race sort of ended. We all we all stopped at 10 or 12 megapixels. So so what is going to drive us to buy a new camera every year? Well, they've started to differentiate and it's Thrilling. There are underwater cameras. There are cameras that can take 1,200 shots a second to freeze action, so you can you can pick any part of that bat swing you want to use as the winner picture. There are cameras designed for low light. There are cam- cameras that can um, you know do 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 self timer things. Just amazingly clever, creative, fresh approaches, and it's all done for business reasons. So. I think that's going to be the thrust of, of my talk, is it's not just fun because it's fun. It's important because it's, it leads to better business.
1: Well, thank you very much for joining us and talking about these topics, and we look forward to seeing you in person in a few weeks in Oklahoma City, where you'll be on uh, November 16th on a panel, on the opening panel. And, David, we want to thank you. Uh, David Pogue is the personal technology columnist for The New York Times. And you can listen to this show again and find more information about our guests and coming shows at creativityandplay.com. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg.
0: And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you, David, for joining us.
1: Thanks so much. Thank you.